Thank you, Brother Joe. It's all good to see you this morning. At least it's getting warmer for us. Winter is almost over, thank goodness. I don't know about you, but I don't like it. I don't like getting up at 5.30 and in the freezing cold and hands numb and can't feel what I'm doing. So I'm glad it's getting warmer. I'd rather sweat than shiver. So without further ado, before we begin, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful that we can be here today to hear from your words. Lord, I pray you help us and give us your understanding and your wisdom of your words, Lord, and that may we learn from your words. Please guide me, Lord God, as I speak your words, that I may speak to the brethren, Lord, and you will see your words and your truth. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thank you. So last time I spoke to you, I spoke out of, from Daniel chapter 6 about Daniel's prayer, that we saw that he was committed on his knees constantly in prayer by praying in secret, praying, looking on to God only, by praying without ceasing and persistent in his prayers. We saw in Daniel's case that God ended up delivering him. When you first dating, started dating your spouse, you probably communed to him many hours on the phone and wherever you could possibly get a chance to talk to him. So how many hours or how often do you commune to the Lord that saves us from our souls of hell? The Word of God mentions prayer so many times throughout the Bible. It mentions prayer in 107 verses, pray in 306 verses, prayers in 24 verses, praying in 20 verses, and prayed in 65 verses throughout the whole Bible. So we can see that prayer is a very important part of the spiritual life of a believer. Sometimes God might answer our prayers straight away, Sometimes he will take time to answer those prayers and we'll be wondering why hasn't he answered? When is he going to answer? When is this thing going to come to pass that we've been asking for? Other times our prayers are not answered because it might not be God's will for us and it's not all we're not ready for, to receive the things that we've been asked for. A question most of us don't want to really hear or understand is can our prayers be hindered? And if so what would cause our prayers to be hindered? This is not a topic or a thing I'd like to hear from anyone that their prayers were hindered, but the topic must be addressed. If you please turn with me to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and we'll read from the scripture. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You, receive, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. So this morning I'd like to expound on these verses how prayers can be hindered with three uh, points. The first point will be wars and lusts. The second point will be not being content. And the third, asking amiss or with the wrong motives. So the book of James is referred to as a mini book of Proverbs for the Christian believer. The book of James, only in its five chapters, has 58 references to the Old Testament contained within the five chapters. James was a pastor and an elder of the church 
of Jerusalem and well respected. The reason James wrote this epistle to the believers is because they didn't understand their, their position in Christ at that time as believers. Well, today in Christendom, we have many believers in the same position that don't understand their position where they are in Christ. They lack immaturity, they lack knowledge of God's word, and they even neglect prayer. They're not strong in God's word when persecution times arise or when uh, their faith is tested. They won't know where to turn to the God's word and they won't be able to stand on his promises. Unfortunately, the average Christian today understands more and knows more about Hollywood movies, TV series, Hollywood stars, sporting heroes and musicians more than they knowledge of the Bible. They also might neglect prayer as well as they spend more time in these things. Even some Christians that I've met use more vulgar language than those that are in the world. And they're more concerned in life, of the present life, than spiritual matters. So, without further ado, let us go to our first point wars and lust. In verse 1 and 2, we read, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust and war in your members? We see from the historian Josephus in his works that the Jews were having frequent wars with the Romans. The Jews were very quarrelsome. They had many factions and disagreements and uh, different parties of opinions. This verse isn't describing those wars or those uh, factions and think, uh, wars amongst them, but it was talking about a war amongst the brethren. Revo- uh, the word also states that the word, the word war denotes that this is a continuing problem that we have. The usage of plurals here also show us that there's a continuous problem amongst the believers. The wars of strife, contentions and quarrels amongst the believers. How many times have you seen this happen in churches throughout even Australia and throughout the world? They might have a disagreement with one another, then they might not speak to one another, then they not... Uh, will keep their distance from them, then they'll leave at different times not to come in contact with that person. They might even not turn up and perform their ministry duties and then uh, they will even go to the extreme of leaving the church where God called them to be. This can be a very serious matter and can lead to unforgiveness and hatred in our hearts. We're reminded in the words of Jesus, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses, in Matthew 6, 14-15. These wars within the body are signs of worldliness, carnality and selfishness. It's our old nature, but we're supposed to be walking in our new nature, the spiritual mind is, is what we're called to be. Carnal people are often used by the devil and Satan to cause division, to disobey God-called leaders, even cause glitches, and are sometimes very strongly opinionated. We should not yield to the old man, as we're told in Romans 6, 11, verse 13. 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey in its lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as though that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. All throughout Paul's epistles, he encouraged the believers to do away with their old natures and to live according to the nature that God called them to be and refrain from contentions and strifes, but rather live in holiness unto the Lord. We read Paul and he said, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, in Ephesians 4, 23-24. Instead of us being bitter or striving with a brother or sister, we should rather have unity with the brethren. Remember when Abraham and Lot went their separate ways to the distant lands, Abraham said to Lot that he didn't want to have contention or, uh, or um, quarrel with him as they left. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 13. The psalmist tells us, Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for the brethren to dwell together in unity in Psalm 133 verse 1. We should do our uttermost to live peacefully with all men, regardless of what they have done to us or what we've been offended by. In Romans 12, 16 to 18, we read, Be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide the things in honest sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We could, say, we could spend a whole sermon just on these, top, these couple of words alone, but we must move on to the other words in our verse. The other ver- words we read is, you lust and you have not. This part of the portion of our scripture shows that a person who is not is self-seeking and is selfish and worldly. They covet something that's not theirs, which could lead to frustration and anxiety, which makes the worldly Christian not at peace with him or or God. They crave illicit things and their desires are never fulfilled. In Proverbs 27.20 we read, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. When we pray to the Lord, what do you pray for? When you are in prayer, what are, you, are you praying with selfish ambitions or things that you can attain to have pride in this life? We should be reminded when we come to the Lord in prayer that we're stepping to the throne of a holy God. When we meet a government dignitary or officer of the law or a judge or someone in power, we'll use the best words that we can utter. No silly uh, speeches, no idle talk. So how much more shall we, when we come into the Lord's throne, utter words with respect and with wisdom and not words that wouldn't even be fit for an uneducated man? 
We shouldn't even let a thing come to our minds, let alone utter such a thing. When we make a request to the Lord, let us not be consumed on ourselves, but let us pray for others. Our lusts and our worldly desires spoil our prayers onto God. The great theologian from the 17th century, Adam Clark, quoted and I quote, Prayer is not designed to inform God, but to give man a sight of his misery, to humble his heart and to excite his desire, to inflame his faith, to animate his hope and to raise his soul from earth to heaven. The Lord already knows what we want and he tells us that in Matthew 6, 8. But before I'm taking out of context, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask things of God, but what I am stating is that how often and how much do we spend time doing this instead of praying for other people's needs? It's easy to pray for oneself and for blessings for ourselves and for those that love us, but how often do you pray for those that hate us or despise us? To pray for someone that doesn't like us or hates us is pretty much unnatural to our minds. It goes against even the world's way of thinking as they couldn't be bothered to deal with them. It is in our nature when someone has wronged us to keep away from that person or even seek revenge for ourselves. Rather, we should have our minds transformed by the word of God and pray for them. So the question remains, how often do we pray for our enemies? Do you ask the Lord to bless your enemies? Jesus told us, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, in Matthew 5.44. The signs of the spiritual man are not just to pray for himself or those he loves, but also his enemies. When we pray, we should do as Christ intended and pray for others more than ourselves and not be self-centred, so our praise will not be hindered. But let us move on to the next word in our, in our text. In verse 2, a word that's quite confronting, it says, ye kill. Well, it's not a physical murdering, uh, murdering but it's figurivity. Rather, it is envy, jealousy, pride, and lustful desires mentioned previously, and is a downward spiral to this scenario. A true Christian doesn't really murder. But if we hate our brothers in our hearts, we are told it is murder. As Jesus said, You have heard that it is said by them of old time, that thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of the hellfire. Well, when John wrote his first epistle to the elder Gaius, he went on to remind him that similar words that Jesus just spoke here on the Sermon of the Mount. In 1 John 3:14-15, we read, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loved Loveth not his brother, abideth in death, and whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that 
no murderer have eternal life abiding in him. God will not listen to our prayers if we have hatred in our hearts towards our brothers or sisters. Forgiveness is not an option, brethren. It's a command to, from Christ to forgive one another. Sometimes we will hold the simplest grudges or uh, over the simplest little matters and we'll not talk to that person and hold them from years or months. Which reminds me, the world does this, but there's been some good stories. In World War II, when the, German, uh, when the Allied soldiers were over in... Uh, helping the people fight for their sovereignty in, in the Singapore, there was a unit there made up of uh, English intelligent communication officers. When the Japanese overtook them, they took them prisoners. Well, they obviously, they, you don't want to be there again. They were trying to find a way to an escape from their hard labours. And as we all know, the Japanese mistreated many of people very harshly. But one day, so one of the telecommunication guys that was good with his hands made a radio receiver so he could keep in contact with the resistance and, and his fellow officers back in England. They couldn't get the parts to actually make a full radio, but they only had the receiver, so they could only listen. Before they could get all the components together, the Japanese ended up finding him. Well, one of the soldiers stood up and took blame for it. They brutalised him for many years and, uh, and, and unspeaking horrors of torture. When the Allies finally came, uh, the American Allies finally came and liberated him, he went back to his normal life as a civilian and back to his wife. But for many years he had unforgiveness in his heart. So he just cuts me up every time. He had many unforgiveness in his heart. He couldn't function with his family, couldn't function with his wife. A simplest little thing as a door opening or a radio would take him back to his captors. He couldn't function in his strife. So one day his wife told him he had to forgive. So he found out somehow, I can't remember how the story pans out, but he finds out that his capture and torture was at the, doing tours at this camp that they were at where they were captive. So he went back there and sought him out. At first he was going to kill him. He was going to beat him up just as they beat him up. He was going to kill him. But then he decided not to. And then he forgave him. Now they remained friends for the rest of their lives. They both lived to their late 90s. Forgiveness has a powerful thing. If we don't forgive, it also has a powerful thing as well that we won't be able to function. So I urge you that we should forgive. Just as Jesus told his disciples that we, if we have a problem with our brothers and sisters, we need to come to the altar first. Before we come to the altar, we need to ask for forgiveness of those things. And he tells us that in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Before we come to the altar of God in prayer, we should make sure that we have a clean conscience. The psalmist tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, in Psalm 66, 18. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that you can have all the mysteries of the world, you can know prophecy, you can speak in tongues, you can do miracles, you can do gifts, but if you don't have love, it is nothing. 
The world holds grudges and does not forgive. We, are, we on the other hand, are asked and commanded to forgive one another. As Christ's law tells us, Christ tells us, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, in John 13, 34-35. Well, that's enough to be said on our first point this morning. Let us move on to the second point, not being content. In verse 2 we read of our text, Be desire to have and cannot obtain. What James is explaining here is to gain possessions of others that are not an honest purchase or negotiation. God warned Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments that not to have covetousness. If man could only be content with the things that God's blessed him with already. In Luke 12:15, Jesus says to them, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Greed can cause bitter fightings amongst the brethren. Jesus told us that greed is a heart issue in Mark 7, 20 and 24, and it defiles the man. We also told that covetousness is a form of idolatry in Colossians 3 to 5. The first commandment that God gave man was to not have any gods before him, and the second was not to have any graven images. We can't serve God and mammon at the same time, we are warned in Matthew 6, 24. All throughout the Bible, we see God judging Israel because of their covetousness and their forms of idolatry. God tells the prophet, Son of man, these things have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of all at all by them? In Ezekiel 14:3. This is a warning to us also today not to go down to the same path that Israel trod, which will turn God's face against us, that he will not hear our prayers. You notice in that last portion of scripture, he, he asks the prophet, should I be required of all at by them? It's a heavy statement when God says he doesn't really want to listen to our prayers. But let's look at our next statement in the verse 2. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. It's like we need to be constantly reminded not to fight with one another. As he goes back and repeats the same thing as he started off with the verse. To engage in arguments, contentions and strifes leads to a war amongst the brethren and can pull us apart. Instead of praying for one another, we're fighting for one another. As we read, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, much in James 5.16. Brethren, we need to stop holding grudges against one another. Many churches have been pulled apart, caused divisions, and destroyed the workings of the church's mission to save souls. We should forgive one another and not bring up the matter again once it's been resolved. In Proverbs 
17.9, we read, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Now to the men. We are told that we take leadership in our household as God has appointed us. Believe it or not, but you are responsible for your wife's spiritual and physical conditions. We need to take care of our wives and to love them. And if you don't, this can also hinder our prayers. As we read in 1 Peter 3.7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Because of all the fightings and all the reasons could be one of the reasons that God doesn't grant the prayers that we ask. But enough has been said of these wars and amongst us, first in our first point just discussed. So let's take another look at the word in our text. In verse 2 we read, Ye have not, because ye ask not. God is a loving God. He's a giving God. He wants to bless us. And he wants our prayer, and he doesn't want our prayers to be hindered. As we read in the Bible, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, in James 1.17. Unfortunately, we are our worst enemies when it comes to prayers because we neck the prayers when we're in sin and this because of our guilt. Either we do not ask God for our guidance in the things that we're about to take place in uh, or our undertakings or we don't uh, ask him to commit our ways onto him. Only God can bless our endeavours as we walk this walk in this faith. In Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and him that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. We need wisdom in these matters and ask God for guidance. Many of us can testify through our life that because of lack of prayer has made, we've made wrong decisions and either has led us astray from the word of God and from what God wants from us. In the Bible, we're all familiar with this verse in James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and unbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. As time draws close to a close this morning, we, have, we should look at our last point. And number three, it's asking with the wrong motive. In verse three, in the beginning of the verse, we read, because you ask amiss. This indicates to us that as a person that's got the wrong motives when he's asking God, either it's not in submission to his will or as they want to consume it on their own lusts. In 1 John 5:14 to 15, we read, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Or it could be that we're not asking God in faith. 
But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, in James 1.6. The worldly Christian is self-centred and does, do not, does not die to himself. He doesn't submit to Christ's ways or his will. And his prayers are usually self-centred for his own indulgences. The world's religions go to their temples and pray to their idols for success, for wealth and their own lusts. But our prayers, on the other hand, shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be that we pray for ourselves and our own lusts, but pray for our, our fellow brothers and what God wants us to do. Neither should we pray for gaining success over our enemies. These are some of the reasons that God why God doesn't listen to our prayers or grant them. It could be improper uh, emotives contrary to how we are to live as Christians as well. We should examine our motives and to see what we're praying for with the closest scrutiny that our motives are not self-edifying or gratifying. If we have the right motives and not selfish ambitions but towards Christ's will, he will grant our prayers. We read in Proverbs, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. In Proverbs 15.29 A question we should ask ourselves, Are we seeking the Lord with all our hearts? Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart in Jeremiah 29:12-13. We should also pray for everyone, not just those that we love or those that we desire to like or the love the most. We read, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made to all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. In 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 3. So in conclusion, we must remember that God detests sin as it is rebellion to his holy laws and he treats it as witchcraft. We read in, for, sin, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry in 1 Samuel 15.23. As believers, we have been called to live holy and separated lives unto God, and we should do our uttermost to dwell, not be dwelling in sin, because this will cause our sins to be hindered. In Isaiah 59, 1-2, we're warned, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is he heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins hid his face from you that ye will not hear you. Just as the prophets of the Old Testament put on sackcloth and ashes to remind them of their sin, so should we be acknowledge our sins to either to God and to one another and repent from them. This, unfortunately, isn't a very popular motive with modern Christendom these days, but it must be for us who are his chosen vessels. 
Whilst I'm talking about prayer, I'd like to quickly mention that our daily prayer shouldn't be unhurried and should be regular. The more time we spend to God in prayer, we'll be like Moses and have that glow that he had when he come down from the mountain after spending time with God in Exodus 34:29. A preacher of late in the 1900, early 1900s called Gerald H. Knight said one time, and I quote, The very countenance of a man of much prayer will often bear witness to his acquaintances with the mountaintop height. It will show a softened spiritual beauty that is in his prayerless days it never had. But whether the face bears witness to the mountaintop or not, the whole life and character will. There is sure to be seen in his whole tone of an elevation of feeling showing clearly that he is accustomed to be often near to God. And thus, his high fellowship with God will bring about a high life before men. If any Christian finds that his soul is not sufficiently raised above the down-dragging influence of earthly things and his life not transformed gradually be surely into the beauty of holiness, it is only because he does not often climb the hill of secret communion with God nor linger there long enough to catch its heavenly glow, unquote. So from what we've heard from today, the application is that, brother, God wants to hear our prayers and he doesn't want them hindered. But we have to do our absolute most not to fight with one another and to forgive, with it, forgive one another and, with, and join in fellowship of holiness of heart. We must be humble in our requests when we're praying to the Lord and not think of, and want to use it on our lusts or for our own purpose, purposes. But rather let us be satisfied with what God has already blessed us with already. Make sure that our petitions are in line with his ways and we're not self-seeking and self-gratifying. And lastly, let us repent from our sins to God and one another. May the Lord add a blessing to his word. Amen.